before our main uh, Sunday morning service. Some of you kids are scaring me tonight, but I'm going to get through this okay. John 11. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. There are, I read this the other day, there are probably more, but in this one article I read, there are seven recorded cases of people coming to life at their funerals. Two of them opened their own casket during the funeral. Wouldn't that be something? There are 16 recorded cases of people waking up in a morgue. They've been declared dead. Something catastrophic has happened. In fact, they may have been dead, or at least thought to be so. It was pronounced, and then they came back to life. Being raised from the dead, that sounds pretty extreme, and it sounds impossible. It sounds like something that would never happen. People die. They are pronounced that they're dead. All the vitals, people that, you know, check people, nurses and doctors and uh, coroners and so forth, and then they make a pronouncement and then they come to life. This actually does happen. There are those recorded cases, and I'm sure there's many more, as a matter of fact, there's a name for it. Guess what the name for it is? It's called the Lazarus Syndrome. When somebody that they think is dead or is dead, and then they suddenly rise up out of the dead. Now, for at least some of those, or maybe most of them, or maybe all of them, there is a physiological explanation, a scientific and rational explanation. But the fact of the matter is that what I'm talking about as far as being raised from the dead has happened to most of us that are sitting here today. And I want to talk about that for just a few moments from one of the most uh, extraordinary miracles of the Bible, which is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And what is unusual about this, I'll mention a few facts about this particular incident. It's a very long narrative in the Bible, almost 50 verses or so to tell the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. There are other accounts of resurrections in the Bible. Some of them are one verse or two or three are very brief, but this one, because Jesus was trying to make a statement uh, and make a point with this particular Incident, I think today, if I'm correct, is called the Day of the Dead. Is that right? It's a religious holiday, Halloween, the Day of the Dead. Well, I want to declare it that this is the Day of the Living tonight. Amen. Let's read this text. I want to read as few verses as I need to. This is right at the point where Jesus is standing at the tomb in verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it, and Jesus said, Take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days now. Jesus said, did I not say to you that, you would, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they might believe that you sent me. Now, when Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died, Lazarus, came out, bound hand and foot with the grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him. And let him go. What an incredible day that must have been for those who witnessed it. What an incredible miracle. What an incredible account that transpired. You have to have a a little bit of a sense of humor when you read the fact that after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees got even more upset with Jesus. And the Bible says that they then plotted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Well, Lazarus had already been dead and raised from the dead, so you have to kind of laugh at at the insanity of the religious opposition of Jesus' day. They were so incensed and angry and upset that Jesus was making inroads into their territory and had incredible favor with people. So let's first of all look at this incredible miracle. It was a resurrection. Lazarus had been dead, sealed in the tomb for four days. They had uh, embalmed him, as it were, uh, and prepared him for death, and he had been dead now for four days. So this was not uh, the Lazarus syndrome where there's some physiological explanation for why someone's vital signs can go uh, dead or undetectable for a period of time or a short period of time, but he was actually dead. And there are numerous, uh, uh, upwards of 10 or so uh, stories of resurrection in the Bible. We know, of course, Jesus rose from the dead. But the first one, the first account is the widow of Zarephath's son in the book of First Kings chapter 17. You can read that later. There's the story of the dead man that was thrown into the tomb uh, where Elisha's bones were. And the Bible says when this man who had been thrown in the tomb, when his body touched the bones of Elisha, he rose from the dead. There's the account of Jesus uh, uh, visiting a village called Nain. And at the time he went, there was a funeral going on and a widow was there who had lost her only son. And Jesus had compassion and raised him from the dead. And then the apostle Paul, this uh, uh, resurrection miracle Uh, uh, continued after the resurrection of Jesus uh, with the ministry of the disciples. Apostle Paul was preaching. Uh, Eutychus was sitting in a window. He fell asleep, uh, tumbled three floors down, and the Bible says that he had died, and Paul went down, prayed for him, and rose him from the dead, and he went back and sat through the rest of the sermon. He did. That's what it says. Lazarus, however, apart from the Uh, resurrection of Jesus would be the most well-known and the most significant. Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were followers of Jesus, but not just followers, uh, but they were very close uh, relationally. 
Jesus was familiar enough with them to go to the house of Mary and Martha. We have that account uh, in the Bible where they uh, served him food. And uh, he had an affection for Mary and Martha. And so when he had heard that Lazarus was sick unto death, uh, he had compassion for them, not just because they were just people, but he knew them, uh, had familiarity with them. And the Bible says uh, that he went because uh, he loved them. And this is toward uh, the end of Jesus's ministry, although it's right in the middle of the Gospel of John. Uh, this is toward the end of Jesus's ministry. Uh, if you continue reading from chapter 11, uh, it, you go right into the triumphal entry of Jesus uh, into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, then immediately after that, Jesus predicts his death on the cross uh, and several days pass and then the Last Supper uh, and the final event. So this was the one final real public miracle uh, that Jesus worked uh, before he prepared himself uh, to go to the cross. So this is a significant miracle, and it provides us tonight with a very powerful metaphor for life. And I want to propose to you tonight that all of you were once dead, and some of you tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible describes you as dead. This is how the Word of God describes the condition of sin in a person's life. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you who are dead in trespasses and sins. And Colossians 2.13, and you being dead in your trespasses and sins. And so what that means is when, when you are bound in sin, unsaved, unconverted, don't know Jesus, unforgiven, you are unresponsive to God and his dealings. You don't hear his voice. You're not sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not concerned about pleasing God, serving him, and pursuing his will because sin dominates your life. We've all been there. We all know what that's like. There may have been brief moments where we had some conscious awareness that what we're doing is wrong. We didn't do anything about it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Sins. And that word death implies not just death now, unresponsive to God, but eventually the body's going to die. And then after that, your soul will die in eternal separation from God. So this serves as a very uh, physical death, serves as a very powerful uh, metaphor for the condition, either currently or past, of all of us. Lazarus is sealed in a tomb. There's a stone at the door at the entrance of the cave, and it takes several men to move that stone. Jesus didn't come till four days after he's actually dead, and so the body is in a serious state of decomposing. It would have swollen by now. Uh, the stench would have been very, uh, very uh, uh, powerful, as uh, his sisters told uh, uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, and when someone is in that condition, it's obvious this isn't going to change. And that was the sentiment of Mary. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, uh, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So what she's saying is now that he's dead, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do about this. This is beyond even your 
power, your ability. He's dead. He is gone. His body is decomposing. This is beyond your ability. You could have healed him had you been here. They believe that. They believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. They had faith in him. But for this miracle, Mary did not believe that Jesus could raise her up from the dead. And sometimes, and you could be sitting here tonight, people feel this way about the condition of sin in their life or about about their status in life. I remember when I was an alcoholic and I was a young teenager bound in drugs and, and anger and rage and violence. And I, I never saw myself. I would weep and long for somehow, some way to be different than the person that I was. But I was under inherited curses. I was suicidal. I was depressed. I was bound by drugs and alcohol. I would do what other people do. You have serious moments where you say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore but it wouldn't last but a few hours, maybe a day or so, like the old uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, many people feel this. Uh, he's in a tomb. Uh, his body stinks. He's decomposing. Uh, there's no way anything can change in this person's life. And I've even said myself uh, in, in moments of unbelief that this person, I don't have much hope for him. They're so far gone. They're so bound. They're so lost. They're so sick. They're, they're so desperate. They're so addicted. Uh, I can even look at a person like that myself as a pastor and say, wow, I don't know if I have much hope for that individual. And I know that's a confession of doubt and unbelief. And it is. And I'm saying that tonight. Pastor, death is permanent. Can't be changed. Sickness, you can heal that. But death, no. And it's sin and death that breeds the despair that many people feel. The sense of despair and loneliness and hopelessness. And more and more people are feeling that way about their lives. You feel like Lazarus, not in the physical sense, but dead in your soul, dead in your spirit. And that's actually what the Bible calls the condition of sin. But the Bible also says that we have been raised from the dead. Aren't you glad for that as you're seated here tonight. Can you say amen? The best way to describe what salvation means is in this context. Resurrection isn't such an impossibility tonight. It's not. Because we're the evidence of it. Resurrection from death to life has happened to all of us. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. In Ephesians, and you have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. On May 22, 1975, Paul Stevens died. Once and for all, my sinful self ceased to exist Though still imperfect after my conversion, I began to walk in newness of life. I could say that I had been born again 
my addiction to alcohol and drugs and my emotional dysfunction and my despair and my discouragement, the power of those things, some immediately and some took time, but the power of those things began to break. And that's the picture of what Jesus came to do in the spiritual realm in your life. He came to raise you up from the dead and give you everlasting life. And as simple as that premise may be to believers that are here that you've been saved a long time, it excites me, it thrills me when I consider that I was once dead, now alive. I was once bound in sin, now no longer. I was once locked up in a prison cell of my own sin and my own curse, but now that prison door has been opened and I've walked out set free and I don't have to live any longer bound. I don't have to live any longer in a cave with a stone. I don't have to be any longer in a hopeless state of despair where I can't see my way out. I can't see how this is ever going to change. And Mary said, Lord, his body stinks. It's been four days. If you had been here before he died, you could have healed him. But now you can't change this, but he can change it. No matter how bound, how lost, how empty, how lonely. But there's one thing that may yet remain tonight that I want to close with, and that is the removing of the grave clothes. Look at our text for a moment. Toward the end, the latter few verses, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. When we are resurrected from the dead, we're bound, and the grave clothes have to come off. These grave clothes had to come off immediately, but some grave clothes have the ability to linger in people's lives. And so what these grave clothes represent for Lazarus were the attributes that were so much a part of what had happened to him. He's dead. Now he's wrapped. Uh, There were strips of cloth uh, that had been soaked in spices to try to mitigate the Uh, smell of decomposition uh, and he had been wrapped in those things and so he must have had to hop out he couldn't have walked if he's wrapped in grave clothes Uh, he would be he would look like a mummy is what he would look like they didn't wrap the legs uh, uh, individually they wrapped them together and so he would have had to you know get up and hop out and so when he came out Jesus said uh, remove uh, the grave clothes and so there are grave clothes that get immediately removed that are the attributes uh, of your former sinful life. When I got saved and I gave my life to Christ, I was immediately delivered from my drug addiction, from my alcohol addiction, from my cigarette addiction. But there were other grave clothes that lingered. I carried for many years after I got saved a propensity toward depression. That propensity survived my conversion, and I had to deal with it going forward as a Christian and as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's an example of grave clothes that come off later on down the road that don't come off automatically as many do at the point of conversion. I didn't do very much to get delivered from alcohol. All I did was receive Jesus as my Savior, and the power of that was broken. I know it doesn't work that way in every believer's life. Some of those grave clothes linger in many people that we work with. They struggle with addictions post-conversion, and they have to deal with the fact that those grave clothes are still wrapped around their life, and that's why we encourage you to be in every service, because 
because every service that you attend, you're going to hear something uh, that is going to remove a little more of those grave clothes uh, wrapped around your body. Listen to how Colossians puts it. But now you yourselves are to put off these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. This is the challenge of being a Christian. Let's get rid of the grave clothes. Some grave clothes are removed at the point of conversion. Other ones, you've got to take them off. You've got to remove them. You've got to quit making excuses for bad behavior. He said that you are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, etc. So there are some decisions that you have to make. When it comes to resurrection, you can't raise yourself from the dead. Only Jesus can do that. He removes a certain percentage, a certain amount of those grave clothes that are identified with your former life. But going forward, some of those grave clothes have a way of sticking, don't they? They have a way of remaining present in your life. And that's the ongoing work of God in every single life. So resurrection is an incredible miracle. It's a powerful dimension of God working. The most powerful miracle that can be experienced in life if you're here born again and saved, you've experienced it in your life. You've been raised from the dead. You were once on your way to hell, now on your way to heaven. You were once bound in darkness. Now you walk into his marvelous light, the Bible says. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you've been made alive and you have the power to walk in newness of life, And now our objective is to once and for all get rid of all the grave clothes that identify us with our former life because those can linger. They can survive conversion. And that's what the ongoing work of God is all about. Let's bow our heads this evening. We want to just give a few moments tonight to ponder.